0: Welcome to Progress Your Beer. My name is Garrett Allen and I am a professional brewer and an avid brewer at home. And today's episode is a very special and exciting one as I got Ashley Carter from Beerstadt Lagerhaus in Denver, Colorado to sit down and chat with me. Uh, about brewing traditional German lagers, which is so amazing. Um, She and Bill, who are co-owners of Bierstadt and and also co-brewers, just do an incredible job and make some of the best traditional German lagers in a very large area. (laughs) We'll stick with that. They are incredibly knowledgeable, and Ashley took the time to chat with me about traditional German lagers and how they go about brewing them how she got into the brewing industry and all sorts of fun things and i i still just can't believe that she took the time out of her extremely busy schedule to sit down and and talk about these things because she's an awesome authority and resource for brewing these types of beers. And uh, I'm still floored that we get to have her on the show. So quick disclaimer, the audio is not uh, as great as I would like it to be. Um, but the content is incredible. Uh, so please keep that in mind. Uh, and, um, and, and push forward. We're still on a shoestring budget here at Casa De Progress Your Beer. So keep that in mind. And then just Sit back and learn an incredible amount from Ashley.
1: All right, today I have with me with me Ashley Carter from Beer Spot. Um,
2: how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for coming out here. It's yeah. Thanks for having me. Super sunny, lovely day out here. Oppressively lovely, I suppose.
1: <laughs> Perfect way to put it. Yeah. Um, so. Um, first off, I missed your uh, beer anniversary, the first time you brewed beer. Right? Yeah,
2: our brew anniversary. Honestly, like I said, it was just an excuse to drink liters of pills because we don't allow liters of pills to be sold ever. So yeah. it was uh, just a funny way to like, you know, commemorate a part of it. Because you know, when you're making lager beer, yeah, the anniversary is a big deal. But we brewed, you know, almost three months before we opened. Right. Exactly. So for us, that's a that was a huge deal. Is just getting beer into a tank yeah. is huge. Well, what beer was that? Uh, well, we brewed like every day in a row. So it was, oh. I think we did uh, We did a collab first, actually the first day okay. with um, Comrade, just oh, to nice. like kind of test out and make sure everything, you know, if you messed it up, it would be fine. Uh, so it was actually a, like a, a kind of hoppy 15 Play-Doh beer. Perfect. And then we made Pills & Ellis after that. But yeah, that was our first day we made beer. Nice. Yeah. Still proposed.
1: Perfect. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'll start this off. Uh, what? Well, congratulations on ah. that. By the way, that was how many years ago?
2: Five years. Five. So not a given. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, like, exactly. No. <laughs> especially after this last year. Yeah. I didn't know if we'd to. make it to five. So this one felt a little even a little better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So I just want to start this off with um, how did you just get in the industry and in brewing?
2: Yeah. I mean, um, this is my 10th year as a professional brewer. Right. So. That's kind of cool, it's kind of everything's culminating at one time, um, but I went to college in Asheville, North Carolina, I'm from Denver, so well, around Denver, Aurora, but I went to Asheville, North Carolina for college, I got my degree in pure mathematics, and if you uh, know, and I played division one soccer there, and if you know anything about Asheville a little bit, there's a lot of beer there too, it's yep. a really awesome beer city, you know, so I I think it's kind of interesting, uh, My, I won't even call it generation, but my age group, your age group, probably pretty close to the same age as me is that we're kind of like second generation craft beer drinkers you know like we have more familiarity than our parents did with their parents right like my grandparents drank macro beer you know Milwaukee's best like there wasn't really many options outside of that but by the time my parents were of drinking age and stuff like that they or even a little bit older they were starting to be you know fat tire and Sierra Nevada widely available Sam Adams etc so our generation is kind of cool we kind of already grew up that there wasn't only just macro beer, at least for the most part, depending on what part of the country, of course, that you're in. But, um, you know, we're in Denver, so we have a lot of beer here anyways, and a lot of access to things. Um, So being in Asheville, uh, kind of the same thing, you know, like it kind of was always there. We were always familiar with it. So when we were, you know, buying, of course, bathtubs full of, you know, uh, what were we drinking then? Oh, Keystone Light or Bush Light, you know, light beer. Uh Uh, We would always, you know, of course, save a little bit of money, and. Buy like maybe a nice 12 pack that we'd all split with each other, you know what I mean, to try and things. We also had a place called the Asheville Brewing View, which was really cool close to us. I don't know if I'd love the beer going back or not, or whatever I was drinking, you know, but it was, you know, we would get pictures of craft beer, eat pizza, and watch movies. Like, perfect college experience. So uh, after that, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I got hurt pretty bad playing soccer, so I had to have a pretty serious surgery. So the original plan was to go get my master's and maybe my doctorate in mathematics. Um, After, you know, playing and stuff like that, I couldn't really like go straight to grad school because I'd be on crutches for like six months. I actually decided to start coaching uh, soccer, which was okay, but then I realized I was never gonna go back to school for like math because I needed that kind of physical activity Mm -hmm. in order to make everything else kind of in my brain work. So uh, I moved back to Colorado when I decided I didn't want to coach anymore. Moved back in with my mom. Um, said, you know what, brewing seems like something that could really be cool, right? It seems like there's sciencey, mathy things, you know, the more you read about it, it seems like physical. So I built my own whole uh, all grain brew system with a friend of mine. Uh, made an Alaskan amber clone the first time because mm-hmm. <clears throat> I love alt beer. Yeah. And basically that kind of like spun this whole thing. And as soon as I started home brewing and you can't control any of the variables, yeah. you start to realize, well, I could make way... Better beer if I could control things. So I got a job at Dry Dock Brewing Company. I was figured I would just bartend there and see if it was something I was interested, at least see it up close. And they put me to work at the homebrew store since I had homebrewing experience. And I just started volunteering at Dry Dock uh, from the homebrew store next door. That was kind of how it all spurred together, and I loved it from the beginning. Yeah. I don't love homebrewing that much, but um, (laughs) it's hard, man. Anybody who can make good homebrew, more power to them, because it is difficult. Uh, yeah, it's. I, I would argue it, it gets a little harder to
1: make really uh, professional great beer at home. It's... It, oxygen, know, esters, you know.
2: like all those things, you just don't have the equipment.
1: Yeah, exactly. So. And just that little volume versus as much volume as you work here, any little bit of oxygen there with an inch not and a half port is nothing compared to <laughs> what it is on the home brew scale. Just that. And just
2: the little things of like testing yep. it throughout. Like you're like you only have five gallons, so you're not gonna do a gravity reading on it every other day, or nope. you're not gonna, you know, <laughs> there's so many parts you can contaminate, etc. So, you know, when I realized that you could like control those things, I basically like never homebrewed ever again.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and stuff is getting more and more available for the homebrew to do that stuff, but and it's expensive.
2: <laughs> yes, it is. It's not a way to save money to drink beer. About mm, that.
1: Nope. <laughs> well, awesome and so then that dry dock was a stepping stone for you did from the tap room when when how did you get to the actual professional brew house
2: yeah so I was um, working at the brew hut which is the homebrew store there mm-hmm. <clears throat> and since I was like single I lived at home with my mom because like coaching doesn't make any money so I moved back in with my mom yep. I was back in colorado wanting to make friends and stuff like that kind of just hung out at the brewery all the time and uh, david lynn who is the owner of comrade brewing company he was working there at the time at um at dry dock as a brewer and i got to be friends with him and i just kind of asked him if i could like hang out with him and he's like yeah sure so i would just like come in and hang out and they'd be like oh you want to grain out i'd be like yeah sure and so eventually just kind of i was doing it so much that i would just come in in the morning for the morning brew and like hang out and like do some stuff, follow them around, you know, maybe help organize bags or whatever, keg off some stuff. And then I would go work at the brew hut in the afternoon and then in the evening I would go back to watching. I was like just there all the time. So uh, when David Lynn left, uh, he left to go get his MBA. Um, His parents basically said he had to do that in order to help them open up a brewery. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had a position open and since I had been there and was kind of already trained, they offered me the the full-time position there so that's how I started that
1: awesome and um, so now that takes me to what what was the inciting incident or or just kind of like right when you wanted or figured that you were gonna mortgage everything and start beer style
2: (laughs) Um, so uh, I left dry dock at After about a year and a half there, and the head brewer there was Bill I, uh, at the time. And uh, him and David Linda basically trained me. Uh, And Bill was really impressed with my work ethic and how I made beer and what things that were interesting to me. And I looked at him as a, you know, a mentor for basically like teaching me like how to become a really good brewer. You know, it's not about all these like random ingredients that you can use or whatever. If you really want to show people how good you are at what you do, you need to make something that's a three malts, you know, no more than three malts, no more than two hops and under under 5% and you know, it's kind of the the basics when you start thinking about lager. And the cool thing about lager that I really started to love doing and what I was kind of in charge of at Dry Dock at some point was all the fermentation schedules. So I kind of love the idea of how beer changes over time. And I like was it kind of enamored with you know, this, this simple thing that's very technique-driven and how <clears throat> you doesn't take a lot of ingredients, it just takes this, like, this time and this care to it to, to be what it is. And so when he got the opportunity to open up um, a brewery across town uh, called, called Prost, so we don't, I don't talk about it very much because I didn't have a great experience there, uh, but I followed him over there to become the, the head brewer, the lead brewer there okay. uh, with him. Um, And then he was unceremoniously kicked out of his own company and we decided at that moment that we were never going to work for anybody ever again. And that was it, like, not working for anybody, not gonna have anybody take away something from you that you thought of, uh, and that's what caused us to, you know, put it all on the line and, and mortgage basically everything, is we knew how good we could do it, we knew how we wanted to make beer, we knew, what you know this kind of beer deserve you have to get on an airplane in order to have a fresh example of it really so how do you bring all those things together and then work for yourself and that's kind of what you have to do is just put it all on the line yep. and don't let anybody own you so yeah exactly yeah that's that's the incident for yeah. sure <laughs> <laughs>
1: so what was it international travel that got you to uh, I'm definitely all about the um, You know those ingredients that care and attention you give it makes it greater than the sum of those ingredients and so uh, i i love that versus like you know throwing some donuts in the mash tun or something Mm -hmm. all that crap um but actually figuring figuring that out has kind of taken me a little bit longer how did you figure that out uh you or bill
2: yeah um, it was honestly pretty quick for me uh, you know, very first, of course, I wanted to make all these crazy things. I was like, oh, I could toast my own oatmeal or, you know, whatever the, whatever it is. I had a book. And I had this little book of mine that I would, like, carry around with me and, like, write down all these ingredients, like, that we could use. And all of them seemed crazy then. And who knew what was going to happen after that, you know? Um, at some point, you kind of realize that beer isn't the entertainment part of it, right? It's the other things, the other things I love about it. And this is the thing about European culture and German culture that is very interesting, right? Is that everybody's drinking this like one kind of beer and they're all sitting there doing the other thing, right? It's just, it's pub pub culture, right? In England, it's pub culture, right? You just go there, people don't come to your house. You go out together and you drink a beer out with people. And yep. that's how you celebrate things. That's how you, you know, get to know people. It's not about what is in the glass necessarily. Like it should be good enough, of course, that you want to drink many of them, which lager is that? Yes. Low alcohol, like light and kind of flavor profile, et cetera. Not distracting. Not distracting. Yeah, yeah, it is. You can pay attention to these other things. Like that's the entertainment. Not not the beer is not the entertainment. Like there's nothing more uninteresting to me than like I talk about beer a lot of course because I'm a brewer but there's nothing less interesting to me than see a table of people like nosing a beer and be like is that mosaic hops or like you know it's just it's really weird to me or like look at it sparkle like when it you know and there's glitter in it like it's just weird to me that that's the entertainment not the people around you and not the the um, real world things that we deal with you know religion politics etc like I I think those are not off limits to talk about, and I think you should talk about them, and I think you should get to know people. And, and this is this beer that we make is just one thing that brings people together. Hopefully, yeah,
1: it's the facilitator. For yes, that. the
2: facilitator for those conversations. It's not, you know, the reason for them, or the reason that you're there. Right. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. And uh,
2: yeah, it's cool. Um,
1: well, then. So with all that being said, um, I just kind of wanted to get a couple technical questions for cool. um, Longering because that's, you know, that philosophy has been what I've developed over the few years of brewing uh, professionally and, and at home and stuff. It's just like but, uh, Pilsner or Cal, that's the one that, that really got me in love with beer and so um and and again that's yeah uh, great it's it's,
2: you know it's triple decocted like it's old school you know like it's uh uh, so much tradition you know i think it takes 180 days to make it like it's serious right
1: and so uh, i can appreciate something like you like all these people who are not going with the trend of You know that that's all fine and stuff people can do that. yeah you should do whatever you want to you want to
2: make it spend your money on it you should do it like I won't bash people for that
1: but um, there's just something a little more special about this to me yeah Um, so making lager I I know you're a proponent of not doing something one thing 100% better Mm -hmm. you're 100 things 1% better exactly it's
2: a sum of its parts
1: exactly and, uh, but there in my mind there's got to be a hierarchy of so, some of it's got to be a little more weighted than other things right
2: yeah ish yes I mean like okay so if I was ever going to write a book okay, okay. which I've toyed with but I'm not a great I'm not it's not that I'm not a great writer it's hard it's difficult right um, my friend and I were actually talking about doing it he's a really good homebrewer um, and the way that I would design this book is from the back forward Right. Every single book that you get, every single technical book that you get starts with, right, you've got all the parts, yeah. right? You've got mall. We talk about, you know, mall analysis and yada, yada, you know, not that that stuff isn't like interesting or whatever, but it starts talking about that. Right. And then you go into hop and they start talking about humalone and lupulin and blah, 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 and alpha acids and all these things and, you know, how they grow and when they whatever. Okay. Then you start talking about water and you're like, oh, the sulfate to um, chlorine, you know, chloride ratio and how that affects, you know, flavor profile at the end. And then you start talking about yeast and they're like, and these and they have to multiply and blah, blah, blah. And all of that is stuff, of course, you need to pay attention to. But the thing that people get wrong more often than not is the fermentation. That to me is the real, the biggest part of making lager beer is the fermentation you can have a garbage recipe and a great fermentation and treat it properly and you can get a pretty good beer you can have a great recipe and treat it like shit, and that beer is not going to be any good and so to me the biggest part the hierarchy of things is that portion of it it is how you how you ferment that how you take care of it and what actual lager is right this idea that you can make it with kvike or that you can make it at 60 degrees or whatever it's lager like it's not like i hate to break it to everybody it's not lager like there's nothing lager about it it's not kvike yeast is not lager yeast like these things are not they're not lager and even like diacetyl rest. like i know people do it i know it has its place when you're trying to maybe make more volume of beer or turn it over faster but to me it is antithetical to what lager is because the cool thing about lager yeast is the way you treat that yeast and how cold it is. You shouldn't need a diacetyl rest because you make less of the precursors for diacetyl. And then you also like if you're gonna go ahead and do a diacetyl rest, there's no point in necessarily long lagering it because you've let the yeast do all its work at one time and then it's just gonna go to sleep and be done with it. The cool thing about lager yeast is if it you don't do diacetyl rest and you let it kind of turn it down very slowly it'll keep working until it's out of suspension all the way down to zero degrees so you kind of like do the opposite thing so i think the hierarchy is is there it's when it starts with fermentation and how how you treat that part and then the other things are to me the very special things logger tanks you know those are the one percent flotation tank decoction um you know different malts or hops or whatever that are harder to get to you know under modified malt like those are the the little specialty baby things that can make something even better. But you can take a single temperature infusion, uh, beer made with a local malt, and if you do everything on the back end correctly, pitch enough healthy yeast and lager, it's going to be a, a tasty enough. It's going to be a beer you can drink a few of. So I hope that answered it. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I get on my soapbox, I'm ready to roll.
1: No, I, no that was, that's 100% my, it didn't used to be, but I get, <laughs> as I get more and more experience, it's like that, that yeast fermentation is, that's what it's all about, mm-hmm. and um, I, I was doing hoppy beers pretty well because I was paying attention to um, low oxygen and keeping that out, but, um, but I've tried a handful of lagers and, um, you know, I, it's just been more and more it's all about the fermentation. It's all about
2: the fermentation. Uh, BSI, Brewing Science Institute, which is where we get our yeast from, that's literally their slogan, is it's all about the fermentation.
1: Oh yeah, there's a sticker on our door. Yeah.
2: That's why. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's that, and then they have it in all different languages, which is awesome. So all around my fermentation cellar, it's all of it in all different languages. Oh, okay. And I think the Canadian one is, it's all about the fermentation. It's funny. (laughs) That's
1: awesome. So what does your um, fermentation schedule look like, like, um, and then your yeast pitching. Um, if you're willing to share that. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Uh, I got no secrets. Nice. I mean, that's the thing. Um, I think Vinny Chaluzo is pretty good about that. There's no secrets. He tells you. you know, I, they, Germans will tell you anything. They know you at the end of the day. You're probably not going to do it. So. Right. <laughs> um, hopefully, you can take out the right parts of it and not the wrong parts of it. Yeah. Uh, and see the things that actually matter. So, um, you know, like. It all starts like if we're going like, let's start like just knock out, right? So knocking out a couple degrees. So I'm going to talk in Celsius if that's all right, a couple degrees C lower, colder than what you're going to ferment at. So if we're going to ferment at eight and a half degrees C, Uh, ideally you can knock out at you know six and a half degrees c so pretty cold, okay because what happens there (coughs) is if you pitch enough healthy yeast which we'll talk about in a second uh, your um, fermentation takes off steadily right so all of your esters are made in those first first 24 hours so if you let it start off warm those esters those those fruit characters are never going away it's impossible to get rid of them after that point so starting that fermentation off very cold and it's at a cold enough temperature and if you pitch enough healthy yeast it will out compete any bacteria or whatever and if you trust your sanitation profile so um, that brings us to pitching enough healthy yeast so in a beer that's you know under 16 play-doh 15 play-doh or below you should be pitching about one and a half million cells per mil per degree play-doh okay so that's about half about 50% more than you would pitch in a typical ale ferment. With the exception of something like a Hefeweizen or even some English style beers where you want to underpitch them slightly to kind of coax different characters out of the yeast, right? So pitching enough healthy yeast. Uh, in a beer that's 16 play-doh or higher, that's a more like two million cells per mil per degree play Like that's the appropriate amount. So when you talk about how much the actual yeast that is, people like their mind is kind of blown about like how much that actually is. Right. But doing that, you give everything the beginnings of, you know, the good the right start, basically. We knock out quite a bit colder because I do have what's called a flotation tank, um, which is a pretty specialized piece of equipment we can talk about later if you want to. So I actually yeah, knock I out colder, like three degrees C. So very, 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 very cold. So ideally, so if you can knock out two degrees and not all yeasts are, you know, eight and a half degrees C fermenters. So know your yeast kind. Some of them are more like nine, nine and a half. Some money spot is, you know, almost 10. Uh, I use 3470, which is a, a little bit colder. So okay. find the right temperature for the right yeast. Some of them don't like it colder. This doesn't behoove you to go colder. Then, that primary fermentation, quote unquote, right? So that's that beginning part. Um, Jean de Clerc, which uh, his textbook of brewing is one of my favorite books on the planet. It's like kind of my guide for how I make lager. Uh, basically, this kind of primary fermentation should last like about 10 to 12 days. And if it's more than that, you should be turning your temperature up slightly. And if it's less than that, you should be turning your temperature down. It's kind of about that length. You should see on the first day, day one, uh, maybe it starts um, fermenting after 12 hours. That would be a really nice lag time. At 12 hours to the next day, the next 24 hours, you should see a one Play-Doh drop. The next day, you see a two Play-Doh drop. The next day, a two Play-Doh drop. The next day, a almost two Play-Doh drop. Then a one, a one, a half, a half, a quarter, you know, subsequently down to wherever you're um, calculated final gravity is you can do with a force test or whatever. So taking that time all the way there to like, you know, 11, 12 days. And then at that point, then you can start think about turning the temperature down. So that primary fermentation is started to kind of like be done. There's very little uh, activity in the bucket. I turn it down about one degree C every two days till I get to four, to four to and a half degrees C. At four and a half degrees C, that's what I consider my diacetyl rest, right? So anything that needs to clean up in that time, I give it a week to 10 days there. It has the time, it's still warm enough. Outdoor. Um, after, during that week to 10 days, uh, it's still warm enough to you know keep a, a lot of like activity going. So do a shake test then to test if there's diacetyl. Mm-hmm. If there's not, after seven days, then I'll go ahead and start turning it down one degree C every other day again till I get down to zero and then I leave it at zero until I can't. Now, if you do the math on that, you're actually not at zero degrees until about a month in. Mm -hmm. So it seems like a long time to take to get there, but that like kind of slowly going down there, uh, is what the yeast likes in order to continue to do its job to clean up any of those off flavors that you might get any of those, you know, uh, fermentation byproducts, basically, you know, all the stuff. Um, So, and then leave it there for, another month or two you know (laughs) you know eight ten weeks ten weeks is a good number whenever it's ready whenever it's ready but ten weeks is a good number Um, eight weeks isn't a isn't a bad number I think you give it less than that and I think you do a slight disservice but Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that you know if you're gonna cut it off I you you should if you have to go faster you should go faster at the at the very back end of that not at the front end of that so, you know, it's all about clarifying then, how, how clear do you want it, mm-hmm. can you run it through a filter, a centrifuge, or whatever you do, or if you're going to use findings, you know, how long it's going to take to clarify. It. So that last part, that lagering part, that's just icing on the cake, uh, that actual at zero degrees time. Yeah. The other stuff between there is actually more of the, you know, the meat of the stuff.
1: Awesome. Uh, what's that flotation tank?
2: So a flotation tank is a pretty old school, uh, specialized piece of equipment. It's not really, it's, a, it's just a tank, and it's not jacketed, nothing. Um, it's very old school, like German. What happens in it, so the way it's designed is it has the flat bottom, um, it's pretty wide, it's like kind of almost whirlpool width, okay. uh, and it has a valve on the bottom that's kind of like a bowl, so it empties directly from the bottom, basically. Okay. okay? So uh, when when we knock out, we'll knock out at about two to three degrees C, very cold. The ambient temperature of the tank warms it up slightly, of course, uh, and there's no jacket on it, so you want it to kind of stay very cold. Uh, We let it sit in there for two hours, and during that time, cold break uh, floats to the very top, uh, along with we pitch yeast in there, dead yeast cells will float to the top, so it makes for a cleaner wort. Some people will use a settling tank, um, which works uh, not quite as well. but can work if we actually drop the tube off the bottom of it before uh, fermentation, okay. so it sits for a long time. So this two-hour number, um, I would have loved to have said that you know I'm, I knew that all along. But um, a German brewmaster that we're good friends with, Eric Toft, uh, who's a brewmaster at a brewery called Schonrum, which is in um, right off the border of Austria, basically uh, in Germany though. Okay. Uh, he runs a really big lager brewery, and of his. Uh, trials and stuff. That's what he's found is the ideal amount any less than that You don't get a really clean cold break You can't really tell the difference between what it is and it really is it's like a carpet on the top of the wort. and so you're just dropping that. off. Yes, yeah, so you drop on the bottom you... and so that all falls down equally okay. And any more time than that it starts to fall back into solutions so There's gotcha. not as much of a clean break either. So so are you so you're pitching yeast in the flotation. Yes tank. Okay. And we float every beer or every it's not beer yet. We float every batch of wort, even if it doesn't have yeast in it. So when we brew a triple brew day, I'll pitch all my yeast in the first batch and the next two that uh, go in, in that same day, they get floated, but there's no yeast in it.
1: Okay, gotcha.
2: So it does add about four hours to the day because it is two hours in there, then a transfer, then a cleaning of that tank Yeah. to do. But it is right before we move it to a fermenter.
1: And you're you're pushing oxygen through, or not pure oxygen, but, compressed air yep. through there. Right.
2: Uh, so on the, on, when we knock out, that's when it gets compressed air. Okay. Not during the actual flotation. Correct. Yep. Oh, okay. Pre flotation. Correct.
1: All right. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, uh, I was under the impression that the flotation tank, the, um, the air pumped in there during that entire time was lifting that stuff up. Nope.
2: It gets it while it goes and it's so cold okay. that it absorbs quite a bit. And that's what allows it to, yes. Gotcha. So You're not necessarily bubbling it through it, it's, the wort is oxygenated. And, oh. Yes.
1: Right. Cool. Um, cool. Is is there anything else other than yeast? What, what's the <laughs> next tier? All right, if the next you, tier,
2: uh, I would say the next tier is recipe okay. formulation. Don't complex things just to complex things right it's like you don't need all that right it's like it's like good it's kind of like italian food the the ingredients should speak for themselves they don't need adornment right so recipe formulation is it, honestly no no german style lager and i'll specifically focus on german style lager um, should really have more than two malts in it it's like it really doesn't need it uh when I don't really include like black malt or like carafa in that like that I we use color that to stain yeah to color adjustment or acidulated malt you know for pH adjustment right but I'm talking about like malts Munich Vienna Pils malt you can pretty much make anything that you want to make with those three malts and you know of course some help for color adjustment etc but you should be able to make pretty much anything and then you know hops The uh, sometimes I, th- I find that when people are um, ale brewers and they go to making lager is that they use all the same techniques, right? They like have this idea in their head. Like we always add hops at 60 minutes and 40 and then a whirlpool edition. Like these beers don't need that. Like if you were trying to make a traditional style and that's like I yeah. said, I'm going to focus on that mostly. Uh, but they have this idea that like everything needs a hop edition, of course, 10 minutes before the end of boil. you're like, <laughs> no, it doesn't. Not every thing does. Um, or it needs like, oh, I really want to get that bready character. So I'm going to use like biscuit malt, or I'm going to use like like, no, that's where like some of the techniques come mm-hmm. into play. Um, and if you can't do things like decoction and stuff like that, uh, overuse of malt. You know, people think it's going to give you that character, but to me it always kind of tastes like you got punched in the mouth, like it's got that very metallic character to it. And uh, one of the biggest things about lager brewing uh, that makes it different from ale is there's kind of like four basic things that make it different. Um, ester character, right? Um, yeast characteristics. Uh, drinkability and dryness, and that is a big one. So adding a bunch of um, specialty malt to it, uh, it has the exact opposite effect. Mm-hmm. Is trying to dry this beer out and being an infin- in, you know imminently drinkable basically. So that is the big. That's the next thing to me is that actual recipe there, uh, using things like low alpha hops instead of high alpha hops. Now we've always been told these things. We've been taught this weirdly. We've been taught that like there's flavoring hops, and then there's bittering hops, right? Like, I don't know where this idea came from. I, I think it came from some big brewer type idea, you know? We're spending a lot of money, so you want to cut costs, and alpha acids are alpha acids. But in, specifically in lager brewing, um, in German brewing, uh, I mean, hops are more than just alpha acid, right? Like, there, there are so many other oils, and there's there's hot material itself, and, you know, if it was just about alpha acids, why aren't we using just, like, CO2 extracted, right. like, that nasty like I don't even know what to call it it's like syrupy almost right yeah. don't ever eat that by the way if you oh. have a chance well I've done a hundred yeah. percent extract like pale yes. ale and it was garbage
1: yeah it's it, terrible right it, it tasted so bad
2: yeah if hops so. are just alpha acid yeah. then that would seem like it would be the most precise way to do that so even when you're using your bittering hops using low alpha hops uh you know it like I said it's more than just it's a fineness of bitterness it's a it's a uh Germans would call it It's the, like the want to drink more of it. And when you use low alpha hops, you get more of that, that pleasant bitterness, instead of that harsh kind of sloppy bitterness. Like it's just smoother. I don't know how else to put it. They're very touchy-feely when it comes to certain things and not other things, you know? Uh, Two things being, you know, two things being equal, uh, just IBUs for IBUs. They found that using high alpha hops and low alpha hops, like there just was a more pleasant bitterness when using low alpha hops with the same IBUs. So those things, like, you know, don't complex it too much. Like, let the ingredients speak for themselves. I always say that um, lager is the absence of yeast character. Like, that's essentially what it is. So letting malt and those hops speak for themselves and not, you know, drag you in one way too hard is is kind of the nuanced balance thing. That would be my second thing that I think is most important. It's not complexing the recipe too much. Right just Uh, for the sake of it. Yeah,
1: bringing it back to that food, some of my favorite is, yeah, you said Italian food, and just like, um, one of my favorites is just um, a really simple tomato sauce with uh, oil, garlic, and noodles, and and that's really it. And it's all how you actually prepare, how you start the cooking process with the garlic in the oil, cold, and, and going through all of that, and yeah, what becomes Again more than some you know, of, of its parts. Yeah, exactly. It's all about that technique and process and, and I I'm slowly finding that that's my favorite thing in beer and food and
2: yeah. <laughs> pretty much everything. Exactly. So. It doesn't need too much, you know, it's all the work on the front end too. It's all those little things that, you know, don't they don't make or break it, but they just take it to the the next level, you know?
1: Yeah. Awesome. So I had one more question for you, but I think you have pretty much already answered it throughout oh. <laughs> this um, my question for you was what is your why when it comes to brewing but you you've already said that yeah uh, it, it's it's all about the people and the beer helping people to get
2: Yeah, you know I don't do anything important, you know. I I going to make something though. And I think it's yeah. the interesting thing. I don't know that I could go to a job where you don't Make something right where you can see what you did at the end of the day. You know, when I'm done kegging off a hundred kegs, like that's what I did. Like, and and people are out here. You know, it's a little hot out here right now to be (laughs) drinking necessarily, but like looking in the tasting room and seeing people consume that, right? Like, it's pretty cool to see people like consume something that you you've made. Exactly. You know, and the why. uh, There's a guy. His name is Simon Sinek. He's like a motivational speaker type guy, but he has this idea of what they call the golden circle. And people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And if you can't identify what your why is, your why can't be money, right? Your why has to be something different. There's a why in the middle, there's a how, and then there's a what. The what is beer, okay. you know? Yep. The how is you know all of these things that you're looking at. And the why is something different. I like It's the creating of something, right? This happens to be the thing that I want to create, but at some point I'd be creating something. I want to bring people into an experience you know some of the same experiences I have I want to share my experiences with somebody else even if I'm not sitting across the table with them right so that's everything about how we pour this beer about what glass it comes in like those are experiences that I enjoy and I want to show people like that and then you know um, between Bill and I we have a lot in common like we're we're married now and this is something we both care about a lot and like this always I look at this place like my living room like it's a place that I want to invite people into and to enjoy. And that why is like, kind of hard to put your finger on, but you like, it helps guide every single decision you make and never have a decision that's really that difficult because they all kind of have to follow this, this little why thing. And if you have that, then any decision, even if it's hard ones, become easy to make because you already know what you want from the very beginning. You already know what your goals are. You already have a, a like a map of even if you don't know exactly what that question is, you have an answer to it for right. the most part.
1: You, you always have a direction to go to
2: Yep. It. You, you already come back to that why and does that fit into this why? And if it doesn't, then it's a no go. Even if maybe it makes you more money or even if it, whatever, you just have to be willing sometimes to go without. And that's not something that a lot of people are necessarily willing to do. Right.
1: Yeah. So well said. This has been such an amazing interview. Thank you so much for taking the time.
2: Oh, no, I'm happy to. It was such a blast. I'm glad you made it down. Now we finally got cloud cover here. So. I know. Now we can drink. <laughs> yeah, now we can start drinking. My, my pills is all skunked up by now. But, you know, that's all right. That's fresh beer. Hey, exactly. boy. Yeah. All right.
0: Thank
2: you. Yeah, Cheers. thank you for having me. Appreciate you. Cheers.
0: I want to thank Ashley yet again for being on the show. What awesome information and knowledge she has to give and uh still so much more to be learned so um hope you enjoyed it and a couple plugs please support me by following progress your beer on instagram get your free new england ipa course i know we talked about lager beer but that new england ipa course uh, or 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 quick short uh informational video series, if you will, is um, it, it, it's quite conductive to making delicious light lagers as well. Once you learn and, and understand some of the concepts behind uh, these types of beers, uh, they can be applied uh, all over the board. So go to ProgressYourBeer.com and give me a name and email so that I can send you your free short video series on this. And yeah, have a wonderful week and see you next time. Cheers.